Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Hey, let's pray. Father, we thank You for the beauty and glory of this fall day in New England. Lord, I thank You for the glory of the trees as we drove down Main Street to come here. And Lord, it's a foretaste, it's a prefigurement of the glory that we shall have with You in eternity. Lord, we thank You that You are at work in our lives, and we pray that this morning You continue to be at work. God, I pray for the flock now that You would minister and care for them. I know there's many who are out of work or looking for jobs. I pray that You would provide for them. Not only provide them with a job, but also provide them with faith to trust in You until that job comes. Lord, uh, take care of our financial needs. You've told us that if we seek first your kingdom, that all these things, our material needs, will be given to us as well. So Lord, give us the grace to seek your kingdom first. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with health needs, that you would heal their bodies, that you would give them grace to trust in you in the midst of it. Lord, I pray that you would relieve physical pain, that you would relieve ailments, that you would cure diseases. Lord, I pray for those who are looking for direction in their lives, who are at crossroads. God, would you... Give them a sign today from your word. Lord, I pray even at this moment that you would answer questions that people have. Lord, I pray for those who are seeking to grow deeper with you, that as they look for you, that they would find you, even as we sang this morning. As we draw near to you, Lord, would you draw near to us? God, we come into your presence today seeking to meet with Christ. And so we pray that you might speak to us from your word now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, down through human history, people have <clears throat> been in search of the ideal society, the perfect human culture. And the reason we've been in search of it is because down through human history, people have known that the world is a messed up and broken place, that it does not function the way it's supposed to, that politics don't work the way they're supposed to, and uh, culture it has a corrosion to it. And so down through human history, people have sought different ways of constructing society in the hope that somehow we might perfect the human experiment. Uh, way back to Plato, when he wrote The Republic, he talked about the idea of an ideal uh, polis or the ideal city-state, and he laid out this is what it would look like, uh, but of course he didn't achieve it. Um, we think of uh, Sir Thomas More and his book Utopia, and how that word utopia from that book became sort of the, the catchword for this idea of a perfect human society. Think of Marx and his idea of communism. And his goal was to create an ideal society, to alleviate economic injustice. And in his mind, when the have-nots shared with or the haves shared with the have-nots, and 
and the economy was balanced and everybody had equal share, that societal problems would disappear. It was another utopian kind of idea. And so the utopian ideas have always been around. In fact, I was reading about one uh, just a couple years ago and found it on the internet. It was called the Freedom Ship. Have you ever heard of the Freedom Ship? Uh, interesting. It's this guy and his group that wants to build the biggest floating thing ever. It's a city uh, at sea is what he wants to build. I don't, I don't even know if this thing is a scam or what. It's just so unbelievable. But he, you know, this, let me just read it to you from the website. He says, envision an ideal place to live. Right? There it is, the ideal place. Or run a business, a friendly, safe, and secure community with large areas of open space and extensive entertainment and recreational facilities. Finally, picture this community continually moving around the world. You are beginning to understand the freedom ship concept, a massive ocean-going vessel with a design length of 4,500 feet and a width of 750 feet and a height of 350 feet. Freedom ship would be more than four times longer than the Queen Mary. The design concepts include a mobile modern city featuring luxurious living, an extensive duty-free international shopping mall, and a full 1.7 million square foot floor set aside for various companies to showcase their products. Freedom ship would not be a cruise ship. It is proposed to be a unique place to live, work, retire, vacation, or visit. It's just another modern idea of, uh, it sounds kind of interesting, it sounds like something out of Star Wars, you know those huge star destroyers, th those enormous things, uh, it, it's this incredible uh, idea, but again, there it is, oh, if we could just create the perfect place, you know, not here on land, it's all messed up, we need a ship, and, and we can design it however we want, and it'll be perfect at last, an ideal place to live, the place we've always dreamed of, but of course, all these dreams never work, because well, we're involved, that's why. <laughs> we are the problem. Society, you know, we talk about, oh, society, but society is not just something out there. I mean, society is a construction of the human heart. The problem is in here, and that's why the problem is out there. And so whenever human beings have tried this, it's always failed. I even think of, uh, when I was thinking of failed experiments like this, I thought of the Puritans. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the Puritans. You guys know that. I, I love their literature. They've been a major, probably the major... Uh, shaping and feeding influence on my own Christian life. But as I think about the Puritans who came over to found the Massachusetts Bay Colony, it was a failed experiment. I mean, they wanted to, to create not just a colony here in the New World, they wanted to create the city on a hill. You know, the example, and they said, we're going to construct a society from scratch, we're going to base it on biblical principles. And so they went to the Old Testament law, and for their civil laws, they took Old Testament laws, and they tried to create and construct the ideal society. And it didn't work. You know, a few decades into it, they were, you know, hanging people and, and persecuting people for their religious beliefs, which is what they were complaining about was happening to them back in England. And just, a, you know, 10, 20 years later, they're doing it. And then it, it sort of devolves until finally you get the whole witch trial thing several decades into it, and Puritanism, as in its classical sense, dies out until perhaps the time of Jonathan Edwards. But by and large, it's gone. And, and so, you know, what was the problem? Did they have the wrong motive? No. Did they, were they using the wrong book, the Bible? No. It's just that the corruption is in here. And so whenever we try to retreat from the world onto a big ship, or into a gated community, or into a commune, or into a Christian school, or a Christian church, whenever we try to retreat from the world, we find that the world is with us. Because it's, it's with us wherever we go. The world is in here. And so these utopian ideas, they always seem to fall apart. We need a solution 
to the human dilemma that's bigger than anything we can construct. We need a solution from the outside. And so the question is this morning, does God have a plan for the human predicament? Does God have a utopian vision for humanity? And as we come to the book of Ephesians, here in chapter 1, as we've been studying through this first section, verses 3 to 14, today we come to verses 9 to 10, which are in a sense a climax of this section. This is kind of the high point of this part of the uh, uh, text. Look back at verses 9 and 10. It's our text this morning. It says, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Will. Now, that that little word mystery is an interesting word. Whenever the Bible uses the word mystery, or, or whenever Paul uses it, what it means is like a secret a secret that, that gets told. It's not mystery or mysterious in the sense of like the paranormal or you know, kind of X-Files. Ooh, that's mysterious and weird. It's not that kind of mysterious. It's mysterious in the sense of you know, God has a secret that he hasn't told us. So he has the mystery of his will. In other words, for thousands of years since eternity passed, God has had a secret plan for how he's going to fix the universe. And he sort of kept it to himself. And maybe he gives the prophets in the Old Testament a little glimpse here and there but he kind of kept his cards close to his chest. But finally, with the coming of Christ, God says, okay, I'm going to tell you what my plan is. And he lays his cards on the table. He says, this is what I am going to do about the disturbance and destruction and corruption in the human experience. And what is the mystery? What is the secret that he wants to tell us? It's there at the end of verse 10. Look at verse 10. To be put into effect, his his secret will be finally come to fruition when the times will have reached their fulfillment. And here it is. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The great mystery is Jesus Christ. Revealed at last. And not only just Christ, but it's His work on the cross to bring all things together in heaven and on earth under Him. I'd like to think about just a word here that would sort of bring a little bit more out of this. Look at that phrase, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. To bring all things under one head. I mean, that's kind of a big idea. Interestingly, in Greek, that's just one word. That whole thing in English, to bring all things together under one head, in in Greek is just one word. And if you look at your sermon notes, this little insert in your bulletin, do a little Greek this morning. It's a cool word. It's on the front of your sermon notes. There, you see it in bold italics there, about a third of the way down? It's the Greek word anakephaliao. That's a great word, huh? Anakephaliao. Good word for a parakeet or something. Uh, ah, anakephaliao. Yeah. <laughs> Random. Uh, anakephaliao. And it, it's the idea of, of gathering things together. It interestingly only occurs two times in the Bible, in the New Testament, that is. It occurs here in Ephesians, and it occurs in one other of Paul's writings, which is Romans 13. Uh, If you look down there, there it is. Paul said, The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commands there may be, are anakephaliao. They are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. So to, to anakephaliao means to gather things together, to pull things together. 
All the commandments of the Old Testament summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, in classical Greek literature, uh, this was sort of a rhetorical debating word so that at the end of your arguments, it's kind of like a closing argument. You know, a lawyer makes all his arguments and then at the end of his thing, time for closing statements. That's when he anakephaliaos. That's when he pulls all of the arguments he's made and, you know, brings them all together to give it the final punch. That, that's this idea of gathering things together that are sort of disparate and broken. Another way we can get a handle on this word is to look at Colossians. I don't know, have any of you read Colossians recently after reading Ephesians? They're very, very similar. In fact, I know some of you have been reading through Ephesians once a week, right? Uh, I challenged you, I said, read through Ephesians once a week, you're going to get a lot out of it. Well, this week, do something different. Read through Colossians. Now that you have kind of Ephesians ringing in your ears, read through Colossians, you're going to be like, wow, there's a lot of similarities between these books. In fact, they're so similar that most scholars uh, say that there has to be some kind of interdependence. And we don't know what it is. We don't know if, if when Paul was writing Ephesians, he had Colossians in front of him, or if he wrote them you know, right, one right after the other and had some of the same ideas, some of the same phrases in his head. But somehow, these letters are very similar. So one of the things we can do is when we're kind of stumped on something in Ephesians, you can look in Colossians and see if there's not a related concept. And interestingly, we find one. Colossians 1, 19-20 says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, in Christ, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. So here's a related idea. In addition to summing up, it's a reconciling. In other words, there's this hostility and division in the universe. Uh, you know, what is this idea? It's the idea that God's plan for the universe is Jesus Christ. And he wants to gather up this broken and fragmented universe in Christ and unify it, restore it in him. That's God's plan, is Jesus. You know, when I was a little kid, uh, every once in a while, I would drop a, a glass in the kitchen or, you know, my sister would drop a glass or something. And you know when that happens, the, everyone, the parents go, don't move, you know? You're like, you're like ah. you know, the parents come over and get you. And I, I do the same thing with my kids. I, I think it's only happened once or twice, but, you know, a glass hits the ground and it shatters and you just go, don't move, you know, and the kids are like, ah, you know, what did I do? And you pick the kid up and you put him on the carpet and you're like, don't move. And so, you know, the kid is frozen there on the side of the carpet. And then you go around and you're like looking for glass pieces and you're sweeping it up and, and you, find, you find glass pieces everywhere. There's like some you know, behind the island, like it crashed here and there's an island. You go, okay, the glass piece must have did a bank shot over there. Like, how did the glass get everywhere in the kitchen? And then for the next couple of weeks, you're paranoid. You know, it's like I will only go in the kitchen wearing construction boots because I'm so paranoid of the glass everywhere. And finally, you kind of get over the paranoia. And then like a month later, you'll be sweeping and you'll find a piece of glass like 20 feet away. And you're like, that's glass from the same glass that broke. And then you're back to the construction boots. And you know... <laughs> You're like, how did it get everywhere? And, and I thought of that, that experience that we've all had of breaking a glass is kind of like what's happened to the creation. God's good crystal, the creation he made through sin was dropped and it shattered and the pieces have just gone everywhere. And all of our utopian ideas is sort of a dream of finding all the pieces and somehow you know, super gluing it back together into a, a cup. It's never going to happen. This is a task that is beyond any of us, beyond the smartest committees. It's beyond the UN. It's beyond the White House. It's, it's beyond 
me and, and beyond the leadership of the church. It's beyond any of us to put it back together. Not the greatest philosophers in the world could put it back together. It must come from the outside. And so Christ came and he hung on the cross. And on the cross, he absorbed our brokenness so that we could be made whole. He, he's the one who puts us back together. And so no matter where your life is this morning, no matter how shattered, Christ knows where every single piece of your life is. He knows where every single shard of your heart has gone. And he can gather it together. That gathering and reconstructing process will be complete. And it will be miraculous. So miraculous that it will be a new creation altogether. That's God's plan in Christ. Now I want to look at one more thing in the text before we, we finish up here. This is going to bring a little more nuance to this idea of Christ gathering all things together, putting the glass back together. It says there in verse 10, His plan was to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You see that little phrase, in heaven and on earth? Now in this translation of the Bible, it, you, you might even just read right over it and say, in heaven and on earth, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in Greek, it's, it's a little more, um, uh, it stands out a little bit. It's a little more obtuse. In fact, uh, what I did was in your sermon notes, if you look there, I included three other Bible translations that are a little more wooden and a little more literal. And interestingly, here's, you see how it reads in Greek a little bit better. In the King James Version, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one, there's anakephaliao, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. So it dangles out there a little bit more. You see that? Or the, the New International, uh, New American Standard uh, Version, if you look on the back, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. So that's a little more how it feels in Greek. And, and you read that, you kind of go, why do you add that little thing at the end? I mean, was he just sort of being wordy and just kind of you know, spinning out phrases and just wanted to cover all his bases? Well, no, I, I think there's something important happening here that's going to be helpful. In other words, I think when he says things in heaven and things on earth, it's not just a rhetorical flourish, but he really is introducing a new concept that we're going to follow in Ephesians. That throughout Ephesians, we see this, this contrast, this interplay, this this communication uh, between two realms, the heavenly realms and the earthly realms. So that around us there is an invisible heavenly realm that we cannot see, but that is influencing us and impacting us at all times. And there's also the earthly realm that we can see, that we can experience with our senses. And Christ's goal is to take both of these realms, the invisible spiritual realm and the visible earthly realm, and to gather them up into himself. So I drew a picture of it just because I... This is how I think, you know, real simple pictures. You have Jesus Christ, the mystery revealed, God's secret plan. And then you see him gathering up things in heaven and the things on earth. And he's going to pull them. Now, this is a further step. Just stick with me here, okay? It's, it's pretty cool when we finally get there, but it's a little bit uh, abstract here. The things in heaven and the things on earth, both of those realms have a focal point of God's activity. So in other words, God's working in the heavens to restore all things, but there's sort of an area or a, um, a spotlighted issue that he's focusing on. And on earth, he's gathering everything to himself, but again, there's an area or a spotlighted group or a focal point of his activity. So in the heavens, what's the focal point of God's activity? 
you know from Ephesians? It's, it's the powers of darkness. It's the evil forces, the demonic realm. Or as Paul says, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's Satan. It's the demons. It's all that stuff. And that's in the heavenly realms. And so in order to reconcile the world to himself, God has to conquer those hostile forces. And, and just kind of put that in the back of your mind. You're going to find that as you read through Ephesians, this, this battle between Christ and the powers where he subdues the powers of evil. Uh, just to give you a for instance, look at chapter 1, verse 19. And now stick with me here. This is kind of woo, up there. <laughs> I don't fully get it all either, but I just want to lay this out. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. It says, that power that, the raise, that, that's in us, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated at, him, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, there's that realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. So it's the principalities and powers that we can't see but that are influencing this world, the demonic realm, and Christ has put them under his foot and he's conquered them. So that part of his job of, of summing up all things is to put down the rebellion in the heavenly realms and he has done that and is doing that and will complete that. Okay, I don't want to dwell on that one because I want to focus on earth because that's where we are. <clears throat> Most of us, some of you are in the heavenlies. Most of us here are on earth. Uh, if, if the focal point in the heavens of God's work is, is the battle with the evil powers, where is the focal point on earth? Where is it? God has this plan to restore the earth to himself. Where is it happening today? The church. Whoever said that, you get one less day in purgatory. Good job. Um, <laughs> things on earth. The church. That's right. The church is God's focal point. That's so, that's so radical, isn't it? Because I think, you know, where is it really happening today? I think... The UN, the White House, Wall Street, done. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's the church. Those things are important. But the focal point of God's eyes is on the church. That as the world is focused on the peace between Israel and Palestine and Sharon and Arafat, it's as if God is focused on Palestinian and Jewish Christians. And he's looking at something just a little bit different. He wants those people to be reconciled together into one body in the church. That God's focus is on the gospel and on the church, and it's through the gospel and through the church that God is working his plan to reconcile the whole world to himself. It's the church. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 3, just to give you a flavor of this. And again, we're going to see this running throughout Ephesians too, this theme of God reconciling people in the church. Look at 3.2. Paul says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. So Paul's had a little bit of the secret told to him too. And in fact, Paul is sort of in charge of declaring one aspect of God's secret plan. Verse 4, In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which has not been made known to men in other generations, that has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You had hints of this in the Old Testament prophets, but now in Christ, the message is clear. The Jews and the Gentiles are being brought together in the church. So just as there's hostility in the heavenly realms, there's hostility on earth. 
I mean, there's hostility in your families. There's hostility in politics. There's hostility all around the world. And, and perhaps that hostility is most evident in, in the fact that there were the Jews in the Old Testament, Israel, and then there were the Goyim, the nations. And, and they were separate. They were two different groups. But now the amazing fact that in Christ, God is bringing humanity back together. So the church is not just you know, a place we go on Sunday and a bunch of programs. It's like the new humanity. It's the new human race that God is putting back together. He's knitting together all of the different groups. It's one of the things I love about South Shore Baptist Church, and I've said this before, but you know, I really love being here because in this church you have the rich and the poor and everyone in between. You have the, the executives and you have the, the blue collar. You have you know, Cohasset and Weymouth and Hingham and the single and the married. I mean, there's all different things here. It's like, what brings all these people together? Different races, different nationalities. Why would we come together like this? And the answer is God is pulling together a new people for himself. People that otherwise wouldn't be together. He's reconciling the church to himself. And this is so evident, especially in the Gentiles like me, becoming part of God's people. And so now a new thing is being birthed. <clears throat> okay, so what does all this mean? Like I said, I know, we've been up in the abstract here all morning. We get a little bit practical here. Look at the back of the sermon notes. At the bottom it says, If God's plan to restore all things in Christ centers on the church, if that's where it's happening, if it's not the, uh, the handshakes on Wall Street that seals the big mergers and the, the handshakes around the peace talks, if, if where it's happening is the, the handshakes during the greeting time on Sunday morning at South Shore Baptist, if that's where the center of God's activity is, then what does that mean for us? And I would suggest two practical applications. Number one, proclaim the gospel boldly. Proclaim the gospel boldly. The good news of Jesus is not just your private little belief that works for you. The Gospel is not just some therapeutic idea that you hold on to that helps you through the week. The Gospel is the answer, the answer that the human race has been looking for. The good news that through Jesus Christ, dying for us on the cross, I can be reunited to God, and as I'm reunited to God, I'm reunited to others. That idea, that, that Gospel truth, is the power of God to the salvation of everyone who believes. So that God's work is being done through the preaching of the gospel. So be ready to preach the gospel. You know, I had an opportunity um, about a month or maybe two ago. Um, I was at the gym. It was like 6 in the morning, you know, early, and everyone just looks horrible, and everyone's sort of in a daze, and they're going around doing the exercises. And uh, I was talking to this guy I've been talking to, and out of the blue, he goes you ever just wonder what it's all about? He says, you know, he goes, honestly, he, he says, you know, sometimes I, he said, just the other day, I was just sitting around thinking, what's it all about? He goes, is it about cars? Is it about my house? Is it about these, you know, buying nice clothes? He goes, no, he goes, life has to be about something more than that. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I couldn't figure out what life was about. I, I, and I, he says, I came to this place of just sort of emptiness. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, can you ask me around nine? I'm just a little... You know, it's like, and that just happens. You just get these little windows, and you have the opportunity at that moment for a 15-second sermon, maybe a 30-second sermon. Maybe if you're lucky, you get a five-minute message where you can talk about Christ. 
And, and it, as those moments come, as those you know, opportunities come at the most random times, we don't expect it, preach the gospel. Name the name of Jesus Christ. Name the name. Say, you can know God. Bring people back to God. And it's as if at, at that little moment, as the gospel is opened, there's this temptation to say, well, you know, I don't want to go too heavy on this person because, you know, I don't want to freak them out. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say to them, hey, why don't you come to church with me sometime, you know? It's like, no, they need more than just come to church. They need to know the gospel. And so speak it. Don't be afraid of it. Tell them about Christ. Tell them what Christ has done in your life. Tell them who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. Find a way to do it. But be aggressive and bold when those little windows open because they open and then they close and you may never get them again. And it's as if as that window opens, as if all of the powers of evil in the heavenly realms see that it opened and they hold their breath. They go, you know, that's how I envision it. Because suddenly this window's open and here is a messenger of the gospel, you, with a person who's opened by God's grace and they're going, is he going to say the name Jesus? And we say, you know, I don't know. Maybe you should come to church and talk to my pastor. And all the, all the demons go, you know. But if you say, I'll tell you, I found Christ. Oh, no! He said it, and the power of the gospel is there to save, to save the lost. And so don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's not just a random little therapeutic belief that you hold on to that gets you through the week. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That in those obscure little 15-second sermons, Heaven and earth hang in the balance for souls. And it's at that moment that God is doing His great work of reconciliation. Not in the great hallowed halls of Congress or on Beacon Hill, but in the gym, next to your mailbox, by the water cooler, on the phone, all those places where you least expect it. But here's the second application. Then, then we'll uh, pray and sing one more song. If God's plan to restore all things in Christ centers on the church, then... Number one, proclaim the gospel boldly. And number two, be the church boldly. Be the church. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the church is flawed too. I, I love that song we sang, Shout to the North. You know, we're the problem. And yet, despite that, God, and I just don't ever understand this, God is working through the church, the flawed, fallible, imperfect church. You know that old joke, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it, because you'll ruin it. Right? <laughs> it's true. There's no perfect church. Don't join it. You'll ruin it. God it wants to use you in the church. And, and all of those things you do, whenever you love one another, whenever you are kind to each other, whenever you encourage each other, God's secret plan is being worked out right in your midst. That's a radically way, different way of thinking about it. I was, uh, one time I was right before worship service. person came in, did a little, hi, how are you? Fine. Hi, how are you? Fine. Except this time it was, hi, how are you? And the person goes, mm. and you get to see like the tears going, chuk, 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 chuk. and I was like, oh. I said, you know, what do you do? So I, you know, I just pulled the person aside for a minute. I said, what's, yeah, what's going on? And, and then the person you know, just started sobbing and, and just unloading. You know, it wasn't anything that we haven't all experienced. It was just life, all the broken little pieces of life. And it just sort of all came together on this person in one week, and they were just dealing with a lot of stuff. And they just unloaded it and, and they were looking for God's help. And so I just kind of listened. And then I tried to say some words of encouragement from the scriptures. And I prayed for the person and gave the person a hug. And then we went off to the worship service, you know. And, and I was thinking about that. Like, that's when it happens. I don't tell you that story to say, you know, look at me. I'm saying, you know, that's all it is. It's those little moments here and there 
It was obscure pulling someone aside and just giving them a word of encouragement where God is working to pull the pieces back together. And you don't have to be ordained or have a seminary degree to do that. You just have to, to be used by God and open up your heart to Him. And God wants to use you to, to do that great work. Isn't it incredible to think that God would do His eternal plan to restore the universe through obscure nobodies like us? But He loves doing it that way. He loves to shame the wise with the fool, foolish things. He loves to, to take a little baby born in Nazareth in a stable to a bunch of peasants, sneak him in there. He loves to save the world through a horrible death on the cross. And he loves to bring the gospel through obscure nobodies like us in obscure acts of kindness and compassion, preaching the gospel. That is how God is working out his plan in the world today, through you. Let's pray. Lord, a lot of these concepts, I, I just am struggling to, to your, your flock today. That somehow through all of these high-minded ideas and, and big concepts, Lord, that, that you would have communicated to us, communicated to me that you are at work in this broken world through Christ and through your church, even through your broken church. And so, Lord, I pray that you might give that anointing of authority and strength and vision to each member of your flock today including myself, that we would not see ourselves as obscure and irrelevant, but that we would see our Christian lives as the epicenter of your redeeming work in the world through the preaching of the gospel and through the church. So, Lord, be at work in us. Give us that vision of who we truly are in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.